I want to do something that I rarely, if ever, do, actually, which is to tell you about an episode before you hear it. And the reason is that this is not the episode I set out to make, and I want to tell you why. You know, I announced that I was going to be doing a show about the uh, Ferguson grand jury verdict, which is still true. That's still what the show is about, sort of. But I thought that I was going to be sort of analyzing the grand jury process and talking about implicit bias against people of color and discussing reform proposals such as police body cameras and accompanying legislation that would ensure accountability and so on and so on. But the more I listened to things like that and the more I listened to the stuff that actually ended up in this show, I I kept coming to this unescapable realization that – going down that original path was sterilizing the conversation in a way that was almost the last thing that needed to happen right now. To uh, to sort of demonstrate, Chris Rock has been in the news recently, uh, said some really interesting things in, in an interview that's just in a print print form, and uh, and he talked about black progress versus white progress. He's talking about how, uh, you know, to say that black people have made progress would be to say that they deserve what happened to them before. And he goes on, he says, so to say Obama is progress is saying that he's the first black person that is qualified to be president. That's not black progress. That's white progress. There's been black people qualified to be president for hundreds of years. The question is, you know, my kids are smart, educated, beautiful, polite children. There have been smart, educated, beautiful, polite black children for hundreds of years. The advantage that my children have is that my children are encountering the nicest white people that America has ever produced. Let's hope America keeps producing nicer white people. And, you know, it's one of those things that I've never heard anyone say it. It seems completely obvious, uh, you know, once it's put out there. And so the idea, you know, creating nicer white people comes with learning to appreciate the humanity of people of color is one of the primary complaints that I hear from people of color in the shows that they do or interviews or anything that basically their humanity is not respected. And that is demonstrated by how often they get murdered and the people who do the killing get away without, uh, you know, any sort of accountability. And so we, we don't build empathetic understanding of other people's lived experiences by analyzing grand juries and discussing proposed legislation. But that's the thing we need the most. So we'll get to all of that stuff. All of that is important too, but that's not what I think is most needed at this moment. So this isn't the episode I thought I was going to make, but it is the episode I think needed to be made. And now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Mumia Abu-Jamal, Michael Denzel Smith, Radio Dispatch, The Black Astronauts Podcast, Commentator Jay Smooth, The Black Agenda Report, The Rachel Maddow Show, This Week in Blackness, and rapper Killer Mike. Ferguson. Like a fever, the news broke. But unlike a fever, it brought no relief. For the news, from the perspective of the national black community, wasn't good. The 12-member grand jury in Ferguson investigating the killing of a black teenager, Mike Brown, returned with no true bill, legalese for no charges, no indictment, no case, despite the fact that Brown was unarmed, no charge. The name Ferguson joins an ancient line of place names of pain, loss and black death 
places like Birmingham, Philadelphia, and now Ferguson. It'll have a meaning all its own. For young people, many of whom are new to activism, who felt compelled to hit the streets in protest of unbridled police power and legalized impunity, the challenge will be how to continue, how to fight on, and even what the fight is. Some, broken-hearted, will flee this ugly episode and try, perhaps unsuccessfully, to seal such a memory away. Others will grow in radicalism, convinced that this case is the very epitome of racist injustice. But Ferguson may prove a turning point, a point in time when the nation chose the wrong road ahead. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. Ferguson is Selma. Um, I, I actually had the opportunity before I left uh, for Ferguson to see Selma. Uh, Ava DuVernay held a screening here in New York City uh, last Monday. And, I mean, where there was a theater full of people making that connection and weeping. Everyone is trying to hold back tears because the things that are happening in that film, like that, that are you know representative of the, that historical moment, and the things that are being said could still apply today. Yes, Ferguson is Selma, and I think that um, in terms of the act, the solidarity actions across the country, I think we we just reached that point where people are it's connecting, people are getting it because you know it's. It's Oakland with Oscar Grant. It's Chicago with Rakia Boyd. It's Detroit with Renisha McBride. It's uh, it's Sanford, Florida with Trayvon Martin. It's New York City with Eric Garner and Niall Kai Gurley. It's Cleveland with Tamir Rice and Tanisha Anderson. It is all over this country. Like it's happening constantly. And where black bodies are being criminalized and that criminalization leads to their death. And the people that, that kill them are not being held accountable. And people are feeling that and this movement has grown. And I think that Mike Brown in particular just resonates in a way because of the way his body was handled afterward. I mean, he was left in the streets for four and a half hours laying dead still bleeding there i went to the memorial site his blood is still on the ground there um and and, and to see that to to then have that harken back to the days of lynching when black bodies were public spectacle and and you get this sense of the that you don't belong like the message is sent to black communities that this can happen to you too and then the pictures that come out from the protest with these police 
breaking out the dogs and the tea. Like, there's so much historical resonance. And then the new shit, right? Like, the tanks and, and, and the, all the rubber bullets and the tear gas and all of that, like, terrorizing this community, simply trying to exercise its right to free speech and assembly. Uh, the, the pictures that come out of the resistance that, that these people, that they're forced into. Like, I talked to so many activists, like, we weren't protesters. We weren't activists before this. This situation pushed this on us. These are just regular ass people trying to live their lives. These are people that, that go to work and are trying to feed themselves and their families and, and, and just, and, and this pushes them into a situation where they, they become activists and become part of a historical moment. But no one wants this. Uh, but those pictures, um, making the rounds, social media helping, pushing national media to actually make this a story. Uh, people are seeing what America looks like for, for the other side. People are seeing what it looks like um, and, or seeing themselves, seeing what it looks like for these people and seeing themselves. And, and I think that, you know, it's moving everyone to action or moving a lot of people to action. And, and we need more. We just need more. tell you a little bit about my life so my brother was killed by the motherfucking police so every time this shit happens it brings it all back up and the verdict came out and I was so angry because all I saw in Mike Brown was my brother's face and I couldn't say anything because I didn't want my wife to see. I didn't want to upset my child. So I'm standing in the motherfucking living room crying to my motherfucking self. And all I'm thinking about is my big brother Moody and the show he did a motherfucking year ago. A year ago. And you know what it said? The shit said, new motherfucking rules. It's new rules and motherfuckers ain't playing fair. And I'm so sick of it. I'm so fucking sick of it. I can't help it. And if you don't like what you fucking hearing, turn the shit off. I don't care. I'm over it. I called CY last night after the verdict. The same man that said called me couldn't fucking speak. He was in fucking tears. And he knew what was going to happen just like I knew what was going to happen. I called Moody. Baby, bro, I'm not even upset anymore. Because I understand. I get it. They don't want you to survive. 
So I go home. I cry like a motherfucking baby to my wife who I'm supposed to be protecting. What kind of bullshit is that? That I have to be afraid of somebody who's supposed to protect me. You know what I told my wife last night? We can never have a son. Because I can't afford to tell him and have him go through what I'm going through right motherfucking now. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. New motherfucking rules, bro. New rules. Let me tell you what happened. So the one person I call is Rock. Rock doesn't cry. Rock didn't cry at his father's funeral. Rock was damn near in tears. Because we don't know what to do at this point. A year and a half ago, I had the same motherfucking conversation. The same motherfucking conversation, the same exact thing happened. What do you do? What do you do? I'm lost. Somebody fucking tell me. Because I have no more fucking answers. We can debate and we can sit around and have all these grand ideas. It's time for fucking action, whatever that means. people standing around like lamenting the fact that the protests um that some protests turned to property destruction Mm -hmm. there was footage of people rocking a cop car back and forth that they kept replaying throughout the night i was like i feel like you're making it look like this is happening to all the cars everywhere but you're just playing replaying the same footage um and then i'm not sure if it was the same car but a car uh was set on fire and then a cop car cop car yeah. yeah uh and then and the same before that when they were trying to tip it over as a cop car um and then um various stores were set on fire and you know there was McDonald's, a lot of broken windows yeah yeah broken windows and um little caesars was set on fire mm-hmm. and there was a lot of you know a lot of cnn reporters kind of standing there and being like this is just so sad this is just so tragic yeah and uh, you know the tragedy of monday night was mike brown the tragedy was a failure to indict darren wilson Chris Cuomo was like, well, why are, why are these people doing this to black owned businesses? Which, yeah, again, it's like, well, suddenly we can definitely talk about the role of race when we're shaming people. Um, but we can't talk about it when we're talking about Mike Brown. And Tom Skaka has a very short, but I think very powerful essay today at Gawker about how everyone is so, all, all, all these people are posting about the tragedy of the, of the, you know, of the stores and their broken windows. And Tom Skaka said, these are the descendants of the people who understood the tragedy of do the right thing to be the destruction of Sal's famous rather than the death of Radio Rahim. 
And uh, if you haven't seen Do the Right Thing, you should go and see it. And that was a good time. But it's a perfect, perfect point to be like, are you actually, what is the bigger tragedy here? Are you really going to devote all of your emotional energy towards being upset that people are looting? These people have no options. Like there was a guy who was talking, Chris Hayes got a great interview with somebody yesterday who was like, you're going to, he was like, everyone's going to see these people on TV and think they're crazy. And they think that they're acting crazy. And he was like, they're not acting crazy. They're acting hopeless because they have no hope that they had no options for what to do. Their last ounce of hope was just taken away by the by the failure to indict Darren Wilson. And, and he was like, people are going to see this behavior and think it's irrational and use it as further excuses to talk about how black people are irrational. They can't take care of their community, whatever. And how we need more white cops in there. How we need more white cops. And it's and he was saying, you know, he was like, I just don't want. He was like, my my. He was like, seeing this this stuff makes me sad, but not because of what's going on, but because of how people are going to see. It. And he was like, I don't want people to see craziness. I want people to see hopelessness. This is what hopelessness looks like. If you don't know what to make of this, then we will not relate. So if you don't know what to make of this, then we will not I want to talk for a minute about human beings and about riots. This past Monday night, while we were all sitting there waiting for that blow that we all knew was coming and hoping that we might be wrong just this one time, I said on Twitter that the fundamental danger of a non-indictment is not more riots, it is more Darren Wilson. And that thought struck a chord with a lot of people. It was uh, linked to more than any tweet I've ever made. But later on that night, we saw some things happen in Ferguson. We saw some unrest. We saw things that you could call rioting. And when that happened, a bunch of other people on Twitter were delighted by the idea that that heartache and grief and rage gave them a social media gotcha moment. So who's the real danger now, Mr. Social Justice Warrior? You see all those thugs out there? You see how you people act? What do you have to say now? Well, here's what I think now. I believe what I said now more than ever. And if you think what happened on Monday disproves what I said, you didn't understand what I was talking about. I wasn't happy at all about what happened Monday night. I hate to see people push that far. I hate to see people's community, family, businesses destroyed. I hated seeing that. But I'm also clear that if you ask me to weigh one against the other, we are weighing the destruction of property against the loss of a life. And if you value some people's property more than the life of a black child, we're not on the same team. And regardless of that, for us to even discuss caring about one or the other is presenting a false choice because they're not in opposition to each other. One is a byproduct of the other. That unrest we saw Monday night was a byproduct of the injustice that preceded it. This is not a choice. This is a cause and effect relationship. If you're worried about the effects, you need to be thinking about the cause. Riots are a thing that human beings do because human beings have limits. We don't all have the same limits. For some of us, our human limit is when our favorite team loses a game. For some of us, it's when our favorite team 
team wins a game. The people of Ferguson had a different limit than that. For the people of Ferguson, a lifetime of neglect and de facto segregation and incompetence and mistreatment by every level of government was not their limit. When that malign neglect set the stage for one of their children to be shot down and left in the street like a piece of trash, that was not their limit. For the people of Ferguson spending 100 days almost entirely peacefully protesting for some measure of justice for that child and having their desire for justice treated like a joke by every local authority was not their limit. And then after those 100 days when the so-called prosecutor waited until the dead of night to come out and twist that knife one last time when he came out and confirmed once and for all that Michael Brown's life didn't matter only then did the people of Ferguson reach their limit. So when you look at what happened Monday night, the question you should be asking is how did these human beings last that long before they reached their human limit? How do black people in America retain such a deep well of humanity that they can be pushed so far again and again without reaching their human limit? How do we keep going through this same cycle? Because that's the thing. It's not just these 100 days. It's the 100 times this cycle played out before Michael Brown. The thing about that tweet I sent out Monday night, that tweet wasn't really from Monday night. I made the exact same tweet a year and a half ago about Trayvon Martin. The exact same tweet, word for word. All I did was switch out the name. And that's how sick, that's how predictable and sick this white supremacy Groundhog's Day is that we live in. You can literally, word for word, have the exact same conversation year after year and just switch out the name of the black child we lost. There is nothing more exhausting or more inhumane than black America's eternal cycle of being shocked but not surprised. When you have to go through your whole life with all your muscles tensed, waiting for the same blow to come again and again, knowing it will hurt a bit more each time precisely because you always know it's coming. And then you have to teach your children how to go through the same cycle. That's the definition of torture. Those are not fit living conditions for a human being. So when I see President Obama say he has no sympathy for people who destroy a car, uh, I'm sorry, but I do have sympathy for them. I'm not happy to see them doing it, but human beings have limits. When I watch that footage of Michael Brown's mother out there crushed and heartbroken, and I see her family talk about burning this thing down, I'm not happy to see that. But I don't think we should be making excuses for that. I don't think we should be explaining that away. I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of. That is real life. That is what happens when you treat human beings this way. So if you hated what you saw on Monday night, if you hated seeing those human beings pushed past their limit, you need to do something about the government and the justice system and the institutions of policing that do not treat them like human beings. If you watched the news Monday night and didn't like the effects, you need to do something about the cause. You, I, we need to go out there and make this country into a place where black lives matter. during dozens of Black Friday sales with demands to not spend black America's money on mindless materialism while millions mourn. The police killing of teenaged Mike Brown and the subsequent whitewash by a prosecutor's state grand jury has touched a raw nerve among young black America. 
The question is, what next? Already, media and government are trying to manage this event by its calls for closure, and hence, that relief may lie with federal officials. Most know that these are but pipe dreams. Soft words meant to ease back into a deadly status quo of business as usual. But any system that kills children is a system that can't be allowed to exist. With tens, perhaps hundreds of thousands, if not millions, in a state of outrage, now is the time to organize them into organizations designed and committed to fight for deep structural social change. The system that allows its agents to kill children with utter impunity must be shattered, and new humanistic structures, ones controlled by the people, must be erected in its place. This energy, this moment, must not be allowed to dissipate. It must be seized. It must be harnessed. It must be used to build new ways of being in the world. This will take will. It will take vision. But most of all, it'll take commitment to fight and struggle until social change becomes a reality. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. Over the past four months, the world has come to know the name of Ferguson and rendered its own verdict on the U.S. criminal justice system. In addition to protests in nearly 200 American cities since the non-indictment of the cop that killed Michael Brown, demonstrations were staged in solidarity with U.S. blacks in at least eight cities in Canada, as well as Japan, England, Scotland, and Norway. Last week, a United Nations committee registered its objections to U.S. treatment of blacks. The U.N. Committee Against Torture's latest report largely focused on the Obama administration's failure to punish the torture of detainees in places like Guantanamo Bay and in CIA interrogation sites around the world. But it also warned Washington that its policing policies in black America are not in compliance with international treaties against torture. The committee's findings are a great embarrassment to the planet's sole superpower, which justifies its military adventures around the world by virtue of its claims to moral exceptionalism. Based on two days of testimony by U.S. human rights activists last month in Geneva, Switzerland, the committee concluded that solitary confinement as practiced in the United States constitutes torture, that some conditions in U.S. prisons also fit the definition of torture, and that when police target African Americans on the street for abuse, beatings, tasering, and death by gunfire, they are guilty of torture. 
Moreover, if the United States does not provide remedies and compensation for the victims of torture at the hands of its cops and prison guards, then the nation is in violation of its international treaty obligations, which is legally the same thing as violating U.S. law. Not only does the U.S. fail to provide either remedies or compensation for those it tortures, U.S. law does not even define what torture is or set any standard to measure it, which shows conclusively that no American government has ever seriously considered doing away with torture, certainly not torture of black people. The U.N. committee was clearly quite impressed with a delegation of young activists from Chicago who testified under the banner, We Charge Genocide. The committee included much of the group's requests in its report, including investigation of police torture by outside institutions, prosecution of police who torture, and reparations for those who survive police torture in Chicago. The U.N. Committee is most concerned that countries establish remedies to torture in all its deadly forms. But remedies are precisely what the United States refuses to offer to black people. No punishment for the cops, no compensation for their millions of victims, and no fundamental change in a system born in slavery and genocide. Under these circumstances, there is only one remedy, the overthrow of the system itself and the destruction, root and branch, of the mass black incarceration state, which must be the goal of this new movement in the making that still has no name other than Ferguson. What you are seeing uh, tonight in New York and elsewhere uh, is a direct response to the Eric Garner killing and nobody being charged for having killed Eric Garner in Staten Island this past July. But part of what you're seeing in these protests right now is a cumulative thing. I mean, each of these cases is different. Each has its own detail, stands on its own terms, and is its own tragedy. But it is hard to see these cases all as standalone incidents when they are part of a pattern of similar deaths, similar cases that keep happening in all different parts of the country. I mean, one of the things that happened today, in addition to the continuing Ferguson protests about Michael Brown, in addition to the new Eric Garner protests about the grand jury announcement regarding the Eric Garner case, one of the things that happened in addition to that today was also the funeral of 12-year-old Tamir Rice, who was shot and killed by police officers in Cleveland, Ohio, 12 days ago. Tamir Rice's middle school teacher spoke today at his funeral. Tamir enjoyed life. It just exuded from his very being. He loved to joke around and compete against other students. Tamir talked often of his mother and was very protective of his mother. Tamir consistently 
Came to school every single day. He didn't miss a day. He didn't miss a day. Uh, the funeral for 12-year-old Tamir Rice, who was shot and killed by Cleveland police in a public park 12 days ago. That 12-year-old boy's funeral was held this morning in Ohio. Then, just after 2 o'clock this afternoon, Eastern Time, word came down from a grand jury in Staten Island, New York, that they would be bringing no charges against any New York City police officer for the choking death of 43-year-old Eric Garner. Eric Garner died while police were trying to arrest him for selling loose cigarettes for 50 cents apiece uh, near the Staten Island Ferry Terminal. That's what they thought he was doing. That's what they thought they were trying to arrest him for. And he died in police custody. The grand jury's decision uh, today was leaked first. It was announced then in early afternoon. And these protests that you now see springing up uh, in, in Manhattan, these at first sort of sprung up organically in response to that announcement. I should tell you that more protests in more places are planned for tomorrow. And, and nobody knows how big those protests will be or what their overall character will be. Will be. But the Eric Garner case in Staten Island is, is not a case in which any of the protests and upset around that case have been violent or riotous in the past. It's an interesting distinction. A big part of the reason the Ferguson, Missouri killing of Michael Brown became a national touchstone about race and civil rights and policing and violence is because the local community in Ferguson, Missouri, after that killing, reacted so angrily and was, with such vehemence after young Michael Brown was shot. The rioting, the police response to the rioting, those huge, at times, violent confrontations in the streets around suburban St. Louis, around that Michael Brown case, that was what turned that case into such a huge point of national conversation and national anger. The Eric Garner case has not been like that before now. And it's an important distinction to make. I mean, what happened in the Eric Garner case was this. July 17th. Eric Garner was approached by police on the street in Staten Island. It was, again, near the Staten Island ferry terminal. Reportedly, police approached him because they believed he was illegally selling untaxed individual cigarettes. So you don't want to buy a whole pack? This guy on the street will sell you a cigarette for 50 cents. It, technically, yes, that is a crime. It is not the world's worst crime. While plainclothes police officers were trying to arrest Eric Garner, one officer grabbed him by the neck from behind. Mr. Garner stumbled. He fell to the ground. At least three other officers then converged on him, held him down forcibly, and he died there on the street. This video of the incident was posted online several hours after the incident happened. It was posted online by the New York Daily News. The video was taken by a bystander on a cell phone, and it very clearly shows this very disturbing scene on that street in Staten Island in July. It clearly shows the one officer grabbing Mr. Garner by the neck, and then other officers holding his head down with force, jamming him into the pavement. The tape also clearly captured Eric Garner saying what turned out to be his dying words. Saying, I can't breathe, 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 I can't breathe. Saying it at least eight times. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Over and over again. Eric Garner uh, was killed in that incident. Killed by police on July 17th. That night, the New York Daily News, as I said, posted this very disturbing video online. 
few days later, there was uh, a small protest in Staten Island by people who were upset about the Eric Garner killing. But that protest in Staten Island, it was not like what had happened in the streets of Ferguson after Michael Brown was killed. It wasn't until August. In August, the results of the autopsy performed on Eric Garner's body were released. And the autopsy results were very stark and very blunt and very upsetting to a lot of people. Uh, the New York Daily News report, the day that that medical examiner's report was released, uh, their, their article about it started with these words. It was a homicide and the chokehold killed him. Yeah, it was a very blunt report from the New York City Medical Examiner. It said that Eric Garner was killed in a homicide, and what killed him was a compression of his neck and chest by those police officers who everybody saw doing exactly that in that very disturbing video. Medical Examiner's report was released in August, and then there was the huge protest that New York City saw over the killing of Eric Garner. Saturday, August 23rd, thousands of people participated in a protest over Eric Garner's death. It was, it was very large, and so therefore it was disruptive in the sense that it caused traffic to be you know, routed around it, and it brought out a large police presence. But that protest was entirely peaceful. That giant August protest against the killing of Eric Garner. This Eric Garner case is not a case that people have been worried about nationwide because there has been rioting about it already. Or there's been violence in the streets about it already. There hasn't been at all. There's been only peaceful protest about the Eric Garner case since it happened. The reason this case has been a source of national upset and national concern and national worry about what the response might be if a decision was made that nobody should be charged in this death, the reason in this case that there's been a cause for national concern is because of this video. It's not because people have behaved badly in their anger over what happened to Eric Gardner. It's because of this video which shows what happened. And which is very hard at a layman's level to square with the idea that when this man died, it was nobody's fault. In section 203-11 of the New York Police Department's patrol guide, it's made very clear that police officers are not allowed to choke people. Quote, members of the New York City Police Department will not use chokeholds. A chokehold shall include, but is not limited to, any pressure to the throat or windpipe which may prevent or hinder breathing or reduce intake of air. Police officers are not supposed to use chokeholds. Very clearly, they do. The Civilian Complaint Review Board for the New York Police Department says over the past four years, they've received more than a thousand citizen complaints of police officers using chokeholds. And out of over a thousand complaints about police officers using chokeholds, precisely nine officers have been disciplined over that same time period for using chokeholds. And of those nine officers who were disciplined for using chokeholds, none of them were given a harsher sanction than the loss of some vacation days. And it's not just statistical information we've got about this. We've also got some disturbing anecdotal information about this, like the video of Eric Garner being choked to death, like this video obtained by NBC in New York showing police officers seeming to put a kid in a pretty brutal chokehold for the alleged crime of jumping the turnstile at a subway station to beat the fare. The last time a New York City police officer was charged with killing someone using a chokehold was 20 years ago in 1994. It was a young man named Anthony Baez. He was killed in the Bronx by a police officer who choked him after a football that Anthony Baez was playing with bounced off the officer's patrol car. In that case, a grand jury did decide that the officer should be put on trial for killing Anthony Baez by choking him to death. But at trial, that officer was acquitted. Then, that same officer was brought up on charges again in federal court. 
And in federal court, the officer was convicted and sentenced to seven years in prison. That's the last time a New York police officer was charged for choking someone. In the Eric Garner case, uh, the police officer who put Eric Garner in a chokehold before he died is still on the police force. Although, while the grand jury was considering charges in this case, he was put on desk duty, he was not carrying his gun. It is still unclear whether the NYPD will keep him on the force or will discipline him in any way for his involvement in this incident, now that we know that local charges will not be brought against that officer. Mike Brown, Romarley Graham, Alan Bluford, Dontre Hamilton, and thousands of others who were murdered by those their taxes helped pay for, cops. In many ways, Garner's case is even more egregious than Brown's, for it was videotaped, and one sees his takedown, his incessant choking, his unconsciousness, and shortly thereafter, his death. Now the words, I can't breathe, have become joined with the cry, hands up, reminders of the Garner and Brown killings at the hands of police. Both cases are also noted for the behavior of grand juries, which now appear reckless beyond belief in their inability to return indictments against cops. The grand jury immigrated here from England, where, as it was then called, Grand Assises, a body of about a dozen knights under the direction of a baron or some other noble would investigate cases and charge people. Later, they became tools of the king. Today, they are instruments of the prosecutors and used, just as under kings, to target whom they wish and to clear whom they wish. Outrage stems from the long history of its use to protect cops. Yes, even killer cops. This while the nation is really awash in mass incarceration, the majority of whom have never had a grand jury indictment, unlike the average cop. The system is constructed to protect cops, no matter how outrageous their behavior. That's just a fact. And as the nation now celebrates historic events from the civil rights movement of half a century ago, the grim and ugly present of black life and black death in America makes that glowing history feel hollow indeed. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. If not know when, if not know when, if not know baby, fight back those tears of yesteryears, let's move it up someone not become indicted when the police use a active 
technique which is not legal. It's not a matter of it not being legal because there have been some. It's not like it's it's not uh, against the criminal code. But what it was banned by was, the NYPD. It was, it was banned by. It was banned. It, it but was I want to be clear because okay. there are a lot of white and, folks and, and, who are defending it, saying, "Well, you know, the chokehold is not against the penal code." I had several people tweet that at me. That's not the issue. The issue is the New York Police Department sets sets forth some guidelines. One of those guidelines says, "Don't use chokeholds." That guideline was instituted, I believe, in 1993. These people violated those guidelines. And what the cops, what the police department is saying to us is that we produce these guidelines, but it doesn't matter whether or not we follow them. Because if the, if one of our police officers refuses to follow the guidelines or fails to follow the guidelines, we're still not going to do anything about it. That's what's really, that's what's really egregious. Secondly, the coroner report, the coroner decided that it was a homicide. So what we have here, police officer used a, a policy that, a, a, a technique that is Banned by New York Police Department policy. The coroner ruled that it was a homicide. We have it on video and still no indictment? Like what, what has to happen? What has to happen before they're going to indict a cop that kills a black person? I want to know what has to happen. They brought him down to the ground. I believe he gave up. He couldn't breathe. Yeah, that's not, that's I the mean, official, that's <laughs> the, that's the, that's the official symbol for I give up. Whatever right. the altercation is, is you, you can tap out or you can say, I can't breathe. And then the other person leaves you up. It's not like, you know, and I, I guess it's kind of right around the, right around the, lo- the lines of Darren Wilson's fear that Mike Brown hulked up after he was shot and powered up. So maybe he was like playing possum. He was like, I can't breathe. And then, and he powered up and then start punching through yeah. buildings and stuff. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what's really just disturbing about it is just, I mean, we talk about this so frequently, you know, the criminalization of black bodies, the ways in which white people view black people. We talked about this the other day with that Mother Jones article about um, the science behind cops shooting black people. There are these unconscious biases. There obviously are conscious biases, but there are these unconscious biases that cause white people to view black people as something other than human, as subhuman and at the and, and bizarrely at the same time, superhuman so that. Well, subhuman and superhuman are, are basically the same thing. The subhuman, uh, the subhumans are the ones that have the superhuman powers that they were just regular yeah, that's humans. That's what, that's what X, uh, then it wouldn't be a problem, yeah. wouldn't yeah. be a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's what X-Men taught us is that the superhumans are in fact subhuman in the eyes of society. I can't, I'm, I'm tired of it. Like, I'm hitting this point where I'm just like, none of this makes sense. None of you make sense. None of these arguments make sense. And I'm supposed to be remaining cool and just like, well, let me explain to you why this is, let me explain, listen, you, uh, we have humanity. Fuck you! I'm, I'm, I'm not telling, I'm not going through that. I'm a fucking human. Accept it. It's don't kick rocks and get the fuck out of my face. But guess what? I'm not just going to sit here and let shit ride like that. And the people that are angry, don't get mad at them for being angry. Get mad at the system for being consistently fucked up for generations. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's where you start. Maybe as opposed to policing tone and policing ideas like, oh, you shouldn't say this. Oh, you shouldn't uh, respond this way. Oh, you have to explain it. No. Yeah. What about that? What about, yeah, what about go fuck yourself? Like, I find myself doing that a lot when I get white people, usually conservatives in my mentions, trying to say, well, this and that, you know, you know what? Well, go fuck yourself. I don't care. You know, I went through a period where I was like, I'm going to try and be more polite on Twitter, not curse as much, but I don't have any other words to express, like, how angry I am and how, how sad I am. For example, I saw a woman tweet today, you know, you don't know how many times I've had to look at my babies and apologize to, apologize to them for bringing them here. Like, the profound sadness that I felt when I read that tweet, I just burst into tears. Because you've got black women who are, like, afraid to have children in this country because they're afraid of what... Like, that's an, that's just 18 years of... Co- 
constant need of Xanax and Clonopin and anti-anxiety meds because you don't get a moment's rest. Like, white parents can raise their kids. They're like, oh, yeah, send little Timmy out on his bike. for He'll be back by dark. Black parents can't do that. Black parents have to constantly police their children to make sure that when the police stop their children, they're not going to come home dead. Let's not make no mistake about it. This started with the killing of Mike Brown. There wasn't this much outrage after after Trayvon. Actually, if you want to really talk about like what sparked this right now, so the Zimmerman trial came down, no conviction. National moment of mourning for, for people of color across the, across the country. We did hours of programming around that. People that day going back to work after that weekend was hard. But people dealt and people tried to move on. What, re- what set all of this off is the, the, unarmed, the unarmed killing of Mike Brown and then when a community was mourning, yeah. the police met that mourning with violence, with aggression. And that's what, because this story, it keeps going like, oh, because they killed Mike Brown. That's why, that's not what happened. Black folks are used to getting, being murdered in the street. Yeah. And it's, it's a fucked up thing to say, but you know what? It's true. But people just, we're, we're, we're used to it. Black folks get murdered. We, and we, we're not happy about it. We're sad and we cry and we have to, we, we try to get through it. But that's, we have gotten very complacent. But on top of that, in our moment of mourning, people weren't allowed that. The police approached mourning as if it were some sort of terrorist attack. Right. And then they, well, they, they, they lay siege to a community for two weeks. And this is where the line was drawn in the sand. Where it's like, for like, you, black lives, you don't think black lives matter, but you don't even think us worthy enough to sit there and be able to mourn our dead. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to be okay with this. It's like, it's like roots, I swear to God, you know, where they're whipping slaves, killing slaves, and they're supposed to expect the other slave to just go back to picking cotton. Like, I don't, I really think that this has, I, I agree with your point, and I believe that this is not a protest that is going to end anytime soon. Like, someone just, Angus Johnson, student activism on Twitter, just tweeted that the Montgomery boycotts lasted over a thousand days. Yeah. So people, people, you know, you get white folks that are getting tired of all the black people that are protesting, like, oh, when are you going to... Prepare yourselves for the long haul of white America. I mean, I mean... Actually, actually, uh, prepare yourself for the long haul black America. Because this is something that I, like, one, like you said, we we haven't seen something like this before. So the fact is, a lot of us don't know how long this is going to last. And that's why it's, it's really shout out to, like, uh, the folks out there that are are, are really uh, have been uh, leaders out there in the community uh, in Ferguson, like Music Over People, uh, like, like uh, uh, which one, uh, Geek and Stereo, like uh, Netta, and like uh, uh, Brown Blades. Like, these are people who have committed themselves to this movement, to the fact that saying that flat out they're not, they're not leaving. They're not stopping. This yeah. is not going to be, this is something they're willing to live with for as long as it takes. And I think that's, a, that's an idea that our community has to also get used to. The idea that we're going to, it's, it's not going to be always comfortable. And, and please know there are going to be times when you need to tap out just for your own mental health. Like I've, I, like if, if anyone who follows me on social media, I've told, uh, on Netta, uh, to, to go to bed. Like, like, like actually go to bed. Please sleep. Like you can't, like you can't kill yourself in all of this. Uh, like it, I was told, I was told flat out not to go back to Ferguson when, um, when the uh, when the indictment, no, the non indictment came out. Mm-hmm. It was like you're not like rested out. This is a long haul battle, and so we have to know where and when we can come in and stand up about this, and what roles you can play in all of that. And so in this, be careful, be ready, and know that 
that maybe if you can't maybe maybe you can't pull it this month. But guess what? You get out there next month when people are all the people that are out here now are tired. You're still doing your work. Yeah. That's still part of this job. This is a, this is going to be something that we are not going to be able to walk away from if you give a shit in any shape, form, or fashion. And white folks, I am. We now I'm talking to you too. Why? Like, like I'm just. I'm just because, like, this is something like people think it's it's not it's it's cute and like oh this is no justice no peace no 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 justice no sleep yeah you're not yeah, gonna I go mean, out of rest in all this and you're watching people you know you're watching people like DeRay McKesson on Twitter who's saying stuff like I'm he's ready to die like I've seen him tweet this multiple times I've seen a lot, I've seen a lot of folks say that a lot of people are saying I'm ready to die because you know what I can get I can get shot dead in the street anyway so at least if I'm gonna die I'm gonna die protesting and I don't I haven't heard people say that. I mean, I've never heard people say that in my lifetime, and I haven't heard that sort of sentiment since the 60s. Very grateful that everyone in this room is here. Yeah. I would like to say rest in peace to Michael Brown. Yeah. I would like to give all thoughts and prayers to the people who are out there peacefully protesting. Also, give thoughts and prayers for the people who could not hold that anger in because riots are only the language of the unheard. We usually come on to Queen's um, champion, and I just got to tell you today that, man, no matter how much we do it, no matter how much we get shit together. Shit comes along that kicks you on your ass and you don't feel like a champion. So tonight, I got kicked on my ass when I listened to that prosecutor. Uh, and I'm gonna tell you, you motherfuckers got me that. I knew it was coming. I knew when the fucking Eric Holder decided to resign, I knew it wasn't gonna be good. But I gotta tell him. You motherfuckers got me today. You kicked me on my ass today because I have a 20-year-old son and I have a 12-year-old son and I'm so afraid for them. You, you motherfuckers, you motherfuckers on the other side.
know you don't value my skin, and you know you do value his, but you know what? We're friends and nothing is going to devalue that. We Walk out to burn this motherfucker down. Burn this motherfucker down. But I gotta tell you. But I gotta tell you. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. And something said. Something said. Just look for something Mark King might have said. So I googled Mark King. And Wikipedia popped up. And he was 39 years old when you motherfuckers killed him. He was the same age as I am, the same age as L. He was a young man when they killed him. But I can promise you today, if I die when I walk off this stage tomorrow, I'm going to let you know this. It is not about race. It is not about class. It is not about color. It is about what they killed him for. It is about poverty. It is about greed. And it is about a war machine. It is about a war machine that uses you as a battery. So, so I might go tomorrow. I might go the day after. But the one thing I want you to know, it is us against the motherfucking machine. Let's go. Hey, Jay, it's Wade. You know, I've been kind of pissed off all week after this non-indictment came down. And I've got to say, it's just amazing to me how quick the the narrative changes. You know, it's like uh, you can kind of put an analogy on it, like the United States or Ferguson, if you want to get specific, is is a room, you know, with gasoline spilled all over it, and then a match was struck accidentally or on purpose. It doesn't matter. And the room goes up. And we all focus on the match or who struck the match. And 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 nobody seems to focus on why the room got gasoline spilled all over it. And that's really the bigger issue. You know, I said it before and I'll say it again. If Ferguson is properly policed before this incident... The protests of this magnitude do not happen. People are fucking pissed because the police are never fucking held accountable. Ever. It's amazing that you can shoot an unarmed person and not at least, at the very least, go to trial. Just to see, we should say in this country that if you kill an unarmed person, we're we're at least going to take you to trial. You've at least got to explain your actions in that setting. And it does not happen. And people wonder why the police are hated and why the protests are erupting all over this country. Because look at all the stuff that led up to this. You know, you had the the Albuquerque police shootings, and we got to see those on video, right? And then you had the Eric Garner incident, and we got to see that on high-definition video. And then you have this. It's a buildup, okay? People are fed up with it because the police are not, they're not de-escalating situations. They're not being peace officers anymore. Somebody put a police sniper 
in Ferguson on an armored van and had him scan the crowd with a sniper rifle. And they're saying they were scanning for threats. Well, my God, are y'all that dumb? Y'all don't know what binoculars are? And you wonder why people are mad? Yeah, I mean, y'all, y'all, y'all have matching camouflage uniforms like, like y'all are some occupation force. And you can't figure out why people are pissed off. What you're seeing in Ferguson, that isn't rage. That isn't opportunism. That's fucking hopelessness, man. That's, that, that is people saying, what the hell else do we have to do? It's the same thing you see in Gaza when they shoot rockets at Israel. And it's happening right here in America. And it can happen in any city. It's unbelievable. Darren Wilson may have followed his training exactly. And he may have been totally justified in shooting. Totally. But that, that, that doesn't excuse the fact that you can't at least have to explain your actions in a trial because the person you shot was unarmed. And if that's the training that, that they're given officers, then we need to put the training on trial. If they don't understand, and I'm talking about the police, all across America, if they don't understand their training tactics need to be changed, I don't know what, I guess the whole United States is going to have to, you know, protest like crazy until they understand that you can't pull your guns out every little time you feel scared. If you're that scared, don't be a police officer. And if you're training officers to treat almost any situation with guns, then... You got to change that too. You know, in my uh, military career, I pointed guns at a lot of people, and you get one of three reactions. Okay? Some people get scared and run away, others get scared and do exactly what you say. But every once in a while, you get a fighter. And that's the guy that gets really pissed off when you point one at him. Guns are not to be used as compliance devices, they are deadly. And a gun in the holster isn't much of a threat. You take that out and you point it at somebody, you're one step away. And that may be a step that you're not justified or willing to take. But now you have to if that guy gets mad. You have to stop using guns as compliance devices. And for everybody that's focusing on the match and not the gasoline that was spilled, you're losing sight of the bigger picture. You're just, you've lost sight of it. The problem is the police tactics, the way they're talking to people. They can talk to people however they want to because they know they won't be held accountable. Good God, all we're asking for is a little accountability. Is that really too much? Really? Anyway, Jay, I'm just pissed off about the whole thing. And uh, just want to tell you, man. Have a good one. Hi, this is Marcus McKenzie. I'm from Wichita Falls, Texas, and I'm 25 years old. Now, my biggest issue with this whole Ferguson thing and and uh, New York thing is that people are refusing to separate the argument blacks versus the police into into the argument that why are the police assuming or have a preconceived notion that they are violent, that that we are the ones that are criminals all the time? Why is that? Now, Charles Barkley is going out here defending the cops. Not necessarily defending the cops. What he's trying to do is redirect the argument towards the the issue is not the cops. The issue is the image that we portray to everybody else. We portray this tough, powerful image that we ain't going to take no more crap because of what our ancestors had to deal with, what our old, what Martin Luther King had to deal with in the civil rights era and all those kind of issues. And because of that, 
we have come up to be, we as African Americans, we see people out there that are 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 just being outright just rude sometimes because they feel that they're they're getting disrespected because they are black when that's not really the issue. Many of the time there was a crime that was committed, and many of the time that there is this officer that is trying to do their job. Now, then what happens when that same black person encounters an officer whose preconceived notion already is that I don't like black people because they're violent and they think that they know everything. So what is that going to do? That argument is going to escalate the situation to somebody coming out of this dead. And that's wrong. And I don't like that. And, and also, I find it very, very interesting that, how do I put this, um, that all that's going on in the media is not really solving the issue. It's making it a lot worse because you got people criticizing the police, other people criticizing the blacks, and both people are fighting in national TV. And what is this going to cost? You got blacks in the community who are already going to be angry when they get pulled over. You got officers who are already angry because they feel that this African-American is watching what's going on in the news. It's going to react a certain way. So what is this going to result in? More violence. More tension. It's not solving anything. I think we need to get off the topic topic of blacks versus police and start getting more on the topic. What is the actual image that we are portraying to everybody else in the nation, and why is this our image? Why do we find it okay that it's okay to be a thug, but it's you're an Uncle Tom if you're smart and you talk proper? That's all I got to say. You have a great day. Hey, what's up, Jay? This is Professor Rambo from Georgia, man. Just calling to, um, I'm pretty sure you're going to do a show on Ferguson pretty soon as this is, man. Just want to kind of call and give you my opinion on it. Um, just kind of crazy today, man. Just, just, just like another blow to the, I guess, African American psyche or, you know, at least my psyche. It's just insane, you know, um, just day in and day out being reminded that, that we're not considered human, you know, we're just considered entertainers we're considered athletes we're considered singers we're never considered in um, humans man you know what i'm saying if you can just kill us on the street for, for doing nothing and then people get away you know get away with it but the people up in arms will never say the nfl strikes or the nba player use on strike it goes really to show you how they really feel about us you know you know the same people who are Bouncing ahead to Beyonce or tweeting last night, you know, um, look at, look at these coons burning down their own city real smart. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just insane that we're just looked at as, you know, just dancing animals. And, and, and that's, I mean, it's fucked up as it sounds. That's just the truth, man. And, um, I don't know. I just, I just think something I really learned last night. I mean, white people aren't the problem. It's the white power structure, you know, and it's white privilege. And until people start understanding white privilege and help, and especially white people help to dismantle white privilege, it's going to be the same thing. Every month there's going to be another Mike Brown, another Trayvon, another Jordan Davis. I mean, it's just not going to stop because, you know, um, we, they're, looking at, they're looking at us to make it stop. And we, we can't stop people killing us. we got to stop the people who are killing us from killing us, you know. So, um uh, let me go in here and watch some Fox and Friends and learn about how terrible it is to have a uh, Dollar Tree looters. <laughs> man, y'all have a great day, man.
Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible. Thanks to Katie Klobusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. And I will just leave you today with the place to go if you would like to get involved. Of course, there are protests happening all over the place, ongoing. So for details, go to fergusonresponse.tumblr.com or or by using the hashtag this stops today that's where you get in touch with the community of protesters standing in solidarity against this systemic injustice that's going to be it for today thanks to everyone for listening thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations as that is absolutely how the program survives of course everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it leaving glowing reviews on itunes and stitcher and by donating your account at donateyouraccount.com slash best of left stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on facebook and twitter and for details on the show itself including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame How we get so trained We can't see past all the sad stories and wonder Stories and wonder what we're doing